the free for all roundtable round two on round two let's say good morning to tim hudak former leader of the ontario conservatives now he's at the ontario real estate association kofi hope is here with monumental and a columnist in the toronto star and adua insia yabwa news talk 1010 traffic expert good morning everybody i uh, I don't presume anything, but I'm hoping some people were watching the debate last night like good oblate nuns. Uh, Tim Hudak, uh, you're, pretty, you're kind of our wonkiest uh, contributor. Were you watching? <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, I actually got a cool thing going on. I've got a bunch of um, U.S. Uh, state real estate CEOs visiting. We've done a series with that. But when I got home last night, Debbie had PVR'd it, so I caught it. So it was good to see it. And, and look, they're finally starting to put Olivia Chow uh, under the uh, spotlight. They're finally calling out what is going to be a, a record of elected of raising taxes. I think, John, they could actually do sharper contrast with her on runaway crime. The subways become more dangerous and the homeless would overrun our parks. I would go even harder that way. And I think you're starting to see a shift in the numbers. But they got to keep focus and I'd make it sharper. Okay, Kofi, we always uh, ask people to disclose. And I know you have some association with Olivia Chow. But were you watching? Yeah, yeah. And thanks, John. And I am part of Team Olivia advising and, and writing some policy there. So have a bias clearly in this. But I was watching, uh, caught most of it. And I think, listen, this is what happens in any political debate when you have a clear front runner. People pile on. I think Olivia took some knocks, but I think she gave them back as much, if not better. And overall, I think it went well for her. Uh, there weren't any knockout punches. She was clear. She was fired up. She was confident and showed two things I know about Olivia, knowing her for a decade, is she deeply loves people in this city and she knows the policies. You know, Anna Bailao had a piece where she was attacking her about tax hikes and what it would do to this senior. And Olivia quite quickly went back with what was correct and saying, no, we have programs for that, for seniors who are low income and struggle with property taxes, there is relief there. And so I think that was just an example of her being able to give specifics, where a lot of folks, it was still a lot of platitudes, especially from Mark Saunders, who I liked what he said about mental health, but overall, it was a lot of talking points. There wasn't that specificity there. Andrew, I get the feeling that people are just gradually, it's sort of like raising the volume a tiny bit each day, becoming more engaged in this campaign. So I guess the debates become that much more important as we move forward. I agree. In the beginning, people are just barely watching. And now, you know, it's coming up on the election. I have to really know what's going on or even a monicum of what's going on to figure out who I'm going to vote for. And in this debate, yes, Olivia is the clear front runner. And that's why she is being attacked. Um, But for the second candidate, whoever that's going to be, because the numbers are so, so close, some they have to like stand out more in order to be the number two because she's clearly the number one and i don't know how they're going to get over that hump to make it to the point where they can actually challenge her so what they did last night attacking her worked but as kofi said she was really good at answering back and stayed firm on what she believed in so and it's toronto so i don't know how that's going to work because if, if raising taxes isn't an issue for in most polls that it's showing i don't know how olivia is not going to be the mayor of toronto Geez, John, I, I got to just yeah. take issue with, with Kofi yeah. and, and Andrew. I, I, man, I think she's superficial. Like, uh, this is a classic front runner. I get it, right? You got a lead. You don't want to blow it. But this is not a candidate who has an in-depth grasp of issues. I heard very few specifics. I heard good stories. To her credit, I think that can cut through as you identify with people. But, man, this is a classic lightweight front runner campaign. Come on. 
Well, obviously I totally disagree there. But I think whether it's talking about what we're going to do around housing or around integrating services around mental health or 911, I think there's lots of substance to the campaign. But, you know, you know yourself, Tim, when you have two minutes to respond, to give a full policy brief isn't possible. And part of that is to show those stories that illustrate how you think about and the values you bring to the issues. And I think at the end of the day, this election will come down to, I mean, everyone will make promises and have different positions. But it's who does the city trust and who does the city believe has their back and will actually fight for them. And I think Olivia, her entire career, you can see a history of that and her, her story. So I think there's a reason she's a front runner and I'm pretty confident we'll carry that to Election Day. Election Day is the 26th of June. So lots of debate between now and then. And I mean, on our show, uh, Canada and uh, Queen's Park, basically federal and provincial government made a deal over the phone that they're going to offer more money to Stellantis and Adjoy and CA. Most people seem kind of surrendered to this idea that we have to bribe people to do business here because if we don't, somebody else will take them somewhere else. But it's pretty galling. $13 billion in taxpayers' dollars for a profitable company. Uh, yeah, it just seems over the top. And I'm, I'm happy they're still at the negotiating table, what that ends up looking like, because we do need these EV batteries and we do need, um, there's one in Brampton and I think there's one in Windsor that's going to be in Windsor. We need we need manufacturing here, so there are jobs. So I understand that, but that number is just crazy. I, I don't know if we have no choice, but I hope at the negotiating table they can come down and have a price that's more affordable, so it's not so exorbitant and goes on the taxpayers because they're just going to be making money on us. And what it seems like in terms of what's happening south of the border with Volkswagen, even over the three to four years, they're not going to make the full money back. But here, they're set to make all of that money back to the Lantis. So uh, it's literally screwing over the Canadian taxpayer. And I'm hoping the government negotiates and makes that number just a lot less or even a little bit less would be better than nothing. Yeah, Kofi Hope, Shelley Carroll was on round one and she knows her way around a budget. Uh, she was saying that this deal is structured in such a way that we may get off easier than we think. But still, it's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, this, we're, in a, we're in a really tough spot with uh, what the Americans have done with their subsidies. And, um, it, you know, this is kind of a pay-to-play situation with an industry that is obviously going to be critical to our future. And, and an issue, right, climate change, which we need to see investments in. But you wonder if part of this maybe, and I think we've tried, but getting some coordination, at least within NAFTA, but at least specifically with Canada and the U.S., to say, can we, you know, if we're putting these massive dollars here, can we coordinate it a little bit better so that we're not having these bidding wars with these global billion dollar corporations on who will give more? Because at the end of the day, I'm not sure all that extra money will lead to more investment in the technology we want to see, or it might give to you know shareholder buybacks, that kind of thing. But I think right now there's a big Buy America, Manufacture in America um, zeitgeist in the US, and I think we just have to respond. But you wish there could be more collaboration. Okay, and Tim Hudak, you're the economist here, so does this stuff make sense on paper? Nope. <laughs> Not at all. Oh, look, oh my goodness, we really wrestled Stellantis to the ceiling here. This is a giveaway <laughs> of taxpayer dollars. My, my colleagues have talked about keeping up with Joe Biden, right? Like, I get the politics, but on the paper, no way, John. That, it's not money that comes off a tree. It's coming from other small businesses, other competing manufacturers, coming from you and me, the audience. And that would be money that would be otherwise invested in other businesses. So this is a high price to pay politically, right? It's all in one spot, and you get the POW, and my colleagues 
talked about the EV batteries and all that kind of stuff, but on paper, no way. This is corporate welfare and the best way to attract jobs, keeping taxes low, having a strong workforce. Our healthcare system helps attract investment. We have affordable energy that is largely green compared to other jurisdictions. Those are our strengths, not bribes. Pride Month begins today, and Kofi Hope, I'll start with you on this one. Normally, it's a very joyous occasion, and it just seems that the political tide is moving in such a way that it's turning into these tectonic plates, that there are people pushing back, ripping up pride flags, the whole Anthony Bass business. Uh, people are unhappy. Yeah, it it's really sad, John, and I think you know, not to blame America for everything, but I think we are really seeing some of that incredibly toxic political culture and culture war that's happening south of the border is influencing what's happening in Canada. I mean, you know, to, to, to vote against pride flags, the pushback that's there, like we live in a democracy where everyone has the human right to love who they want as they choose. And, you know, Pride Month is not about any agenda or about changing people's mind. It's about seeing people who are our family members, our neighbors, uh, the folks that we see every day on the streets and saying, you matter, you have a right and love is love and we support it. But we've lost that and now it's become part of this cultural kind of back and forth and war and it's harmful. Imagine for kids who are gay, queer, trans, who are seeing this and living in communities where people are there deputizing about why the pride flag shouldn't be flown. It's incredibly damaging. If memory serves, Edgewa, you're a big baseball fan, and if so, I have to wonder, you know, we ended up in this situation last night where Anthony Bass is sent out to the mound and the stadium starts booing him. Uh, Rightfully so. They should boo him. Um, And I'm happy that at least within that space, because in most sports arenas, sometimes that's not the case, but they actually did boo him, and, and I'm actually happy that they did. He's has a right to say whatever he wants, but he also has the consequences of the actions that he takes. And you came here, he, even though he pitched a really good game, it didn't matter. Um, they like, People in the stands wanted to let it be known that they didn't believe in what he believed in. And also, fundamentally, human rights have zero to do with politics and how over the past few years, this has turned into this culture war against whether it's the LGBTQ+, whether it's minority groups and trying to turn it into politics to achieve a particular end is just so egregious to me. I just, I just, I'm shocked we've taken so many steps and now it's almost like we're going back to a place that's pretty dark and pretty bad. And if you are somebody that is an LGBTQ+, watching all of this insanity happening, whether you're young or you're old, and you're seeing all of this, and we should be uplifting people when it comes to pride, or just being who you are, and that being taken away from you because other people's small emotions, that just needs to stop. Okay, not a lot of time, obviously, but Tim Hudak, you can uh, bat clean up on this one. I think one of the issues is, and I'm going to hear from people, I'm probably hearing from them now, I'm just not paying attention, um, but they'll insist, well, what about my freedom to say and think what I want? Well, look, I, I, I will remain the optimist on this. I, I agree with my friends here that we've we had a couple of steps backwards. I, I'm, you know, I'm proud to say that, that I was actually the minister that signed the, the first same-sex marriage uh, certificates in the province of Ontario. That's part of the, the track record that, that I can boast about um, today. So I would say in that time, we've seen a, a lot of positive direction. I think Canadians are among the most tolerant of nations. There's some slippage, yeah, but I, I still think ultimately we're heading in the right direction. Thank you all. Good to have you this morning. 
Catch the round table. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.